Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. May I say, we're into season number three, Matt. How are you? Yeah, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? I think it's going, going well. It's gone well the last two seasons and beginning of 2024, bright new year for you, for me, for council, for everyone. Yes, look, a happy new year to you and uh, may I suggest uh, great health and happiness I wish upon you for the rest of this year as well. Oh, thank you. Same to you and obviously same to all of our listeners and it's actually really good. I've gotten some good feedback over the Christmas. We get bits of feedback here and there all the time about the podcast, but I got an email from someone and then actually ran into that same person after he sent me the email and he just talked about the fact that he loved the information they received and just liked to catch up on what was happening in council and, and really felt it was a good way passively just to sit back and listen and find out what's going on. But he picked up one time when we'd spoken about Disc golf, if right, you remember, right, councillors yes. played disc golf for their Christmas, our Christmas function yes. at the end of 2022. And I must have mentioned it again during the year because I had some of my siblings and some of my kids who we played disc golf. I'd never heard of this really. I, yep. I was vaguely aware of it until I took the councillors there. And I talked about that. And he actually said he had some visitors here and they were talking about what to do. And he said, hold on, I remember the mayor and Mark talking about disc golf. We'll just go and get some frisbees oh, and go fantastic? and play it. There you go. And he said his friends absolutely loved it. And he said, I guarantee they left Dubbo with an impression that Dubbo was a Maybe fun, we should change this place. to a travel show or something like that. <laughs> travel podcast. What to do in and around Dubbo. Well, <laughs> you could you could certainly fill some time every week with what to do around Dubbo. Yes. There's a lot to do around Dubbo and Wellington as well. So anyway, it was nice to get that bit of feedback where he saw very much a positive impression for his visitors mm. just from a little thing that he'd never heard of. He'd seen those disc golf holes down at Sandy Beach, but never really took much notice. Right, yes. And only when we talked about it that he said, oh, well, let me go and look at those. And away he went, and now there's something new for his visitors Well, I'm to so do. pleased to hear the fact that our podcast is being used in that sort of way as well. Yeah, well a whole range of different ways, but yeah. that's something that I didn't really see it as a, as a tourist program, as you say. Yes. But when people get the, the information, they can do whatever they need to do with it. Oh, is that wonderful? Let's, speaking of uh, New Year's and all those sort of wonderful things, we haven't sort of been together for a couple of weeks, and... Uh, New Year's fireworks. Yeah. How spectacular was that? It was wonderful. It like, was a bit of a concern at the beginning of the night. I was down there fairly early because it was pretty windy. And I do remember, I think it was probably the end of 2018, right. so New Year's Eve 2018, 1st January 2019, the fireworks were held at Apex Oval, but they were cancelled because it got that windy mm. that all the tents and all the things that weren't attached ah, okay. to the ground started blowing across the ground. And obviously, yep. if you get to the stage where it's too windy, you start shooting fireworks up in yeah, the air. Yeah, they don't sort of work together very well, do they? Fireworks Not in the middle wind. of summer yes, when yes. you start sending hot metal <laughs> That's right. across the land. Yes. So there was a bit of a concern early in the night that maybe there was going to be too much wind, but it, it kind of... Didn't really die down, but it didn't get much stronger, mm. so it was mm. okay then. But they were spectacular. Four and a half thousand people enjoyed them. That was the people that were in the gates. I actually heard there were a few people stayed outside well, the Well, I was one of them, I must admit. Uh, my good wife, uh, she turned around and said, look, do you want to go down and see the fireworks? And I said, oh, it's a bit of a cool night. I said, I don't really sort of feel like getting out of the car tonight. And she said, but I've got an idea for you. Let's go and we'll park the car so we can see the fireworks from the car, which she loved, by the way. But I tell you, there were thousands of people literally parked just outside of the the oval there to sort of watch it as well. Everybody walked away very impressed. All the naysayers out there felt the money was uh, wasted on fireworks. Boo-hoo to you, I say, because <laughs> it was a spectacular night. It was wonderful. It was, and it's a good way to start the new year. It's a good way to feel good. Even just walking around the crowd, I was talking to some of the food stands there. I mean, I actually talked to one food stand, 
And I didn't recognise them. You get to the stage where you know most of those food stores and you're mm. vaguely familiar. You might know all their names, but you're vaguely familiar. And there was a guy that I saw that I haven't seen this guy before. I went out and introduced myself and, and said, where are you from? He said, Sydney. Mm. And I said, so you what are you came up all the way for? for the fireworks? Well, he, he did. He said, I came up for this event. He said, I know it's a good event and I've got some friends out here. So I took the opportunity to come out, brought my food stand out here and set up. And I said, well, congratulations, fantastic? well done. Yeah, yeah. You're a... Temporary resident today, but hopefully you're a full-time resident. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And you never know what happens out of those Absolutely. sort of things. He yeah, goes yeah. back to Dubbo, back to Sydney, sorry, talks about what a great event it was and how friendly people mm. were and all the rest of it. So you, you never know who you're going to see there, but it was a really positive attitude. Now, I noticed the fact with the fireworks, just on a last little point there, uh, Fletcher's, the family, Fletcher's family, sort of uh, financially support a lot of those fireworks. Is that correct? Yeah, it's run by the Dubbo Show Society. They do yeah. an absolutely wonderful job there. And again, they many lots of events at the showground, mm. but they run it, but it costs money to mm. put those fireworks up in the air. Absolutely. So Roger Fletcher and the family support those, sponsor those. The show society, I'm sure, has other sponsors as well. I can't yep. name them off the top of my head, but it's one of those community events. So council, in terms of what we do for it, we are the trustees for that showground there, but basically we've got a, an arrangement with the W Show Society to manage and run those type of events. So well done to the Show Society. They've done a fantastic job there. Yes, absolutely. Now, I was sitting down there last night uh, digging into a lamb chop and I happened to sort of to flick onto the local news there and I noticed uh, your face popped up pretty quickly, very prominently, I say, with a couple of uh, well-known uh, people in our community, well, Australian community, should I suggest, and Chris Bowen and Andrew Forrest. Now, I need to sort of see if I get this right. Ungala, wind farm, sod turning. <laughs> big day, big day. Talk us through us. This, is, of course, is the renewable energy zone, and uh, this is all part of uh, where Twiggy Forest is being involved, and most the, the federal minister came up for it as well. So well, how's it all looking out there? Well, funnily enough, I did have some phone calls from some metropolitan journos the day or a couple of days before that event, Ask me how to pronounce Ungla. So Ungla. I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, but I actually say Ungla. So they probably used Ungla as their pronunciation of it yes. in the news, and hopefully that's right. But that's the double U at the beginning of it is what says to me it's Ungla mm. rather than Ungla. Mm. But either way, whatever you pronounce it, it's a fantastic project. It was a huge media throng. Mm. I can't remember seeing such a media throng in Dubbo, in Sydney, sure, at Parliament House or in Canberra, I've seen yeah. media throngs like that, but never in Dubbo. And I was talking to our local member, Dougal Saunders, and I said, oh, gee, Dougs, it's a pretty good media day. They've all come along to hear us, have they? <laughs> and so <laughs> we had a bit of a chuckle because obviously having two people, such as Andrew Forrest or Twiggy yes, Forrest, as yes. he's more commonly known, having Andrew Forrest there and the Minister for Energy and Climate Change, obviously Chris Bowen, mm. then... Uh, no, sorry, I'll get that around. It's the other way around, I think. Minister for Climate Change and Energy, I think is right, his exact right. title. And so having those two there for announcement, that's fantastic to have those two people there. Now, mm. you also had some other pretty important people there. Jason Willoughby, who's the CEO of Squadron Energy, right. who's actually running this project, he was there as well. Because Squadron, now that, is this Twiggy Forest operation? Is that part of his group? So, yes. So Squadron Energy is its own organisation. Andrew Forrest technically is the chairman of Tatarang. Right. Tatarang owns Squadron Energy. Tatarang, yes. I suspect, is Andrew Forrest, one of his investment companies or maybe his main investment company. Right. So he will often own shares or own other corporations. So yep. in this case, Squadron. So Squadron is focused on delivering renewables. Now, the exciting part here is not just this one project. And, and when I say not just this project, it's a great project. Mm. This particular project is a 69 turbine wind farm 
their 6 megawatt wind turbines, GE 6 megawatt, and they made an announcement about their partnership with GE. That'll power about 220,000 homes, 414 megawatts roughly in total, 262 jobs during construction. So that's fantastic. But this well, is a start, isn't it, really? Well, it's, it's part of the process. Yeah, so yeah. you probably heard me talk about it before. In that area, 37 projects in total. This is one of them. Mm. And this is a bigger one, granted. But there's still, there's 37 projects in that area. When those projects are finished, this will power approximately 42% of the state. It's amazing sort of numbers, aren't they? It is. Now, total amount of power you'll see generation down there, and some storage as well, will be about 11.5 gigawatts. Mm. And that confuses some people because you may remember recently there was an announcement that was made that we talked about where that RES, the Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone, was upgraded from 3 gigawatts as its maximum size to 6 gigawatts. Mm. And so then you say, well, that doesn't make sense. How can you possibly have 11.5 gigawatts when you've only got 6 gigawatts? And there's two reasons for that. One, you've heard me say it before, there's a technicality, I'm being very pedantic here, Mm. but the RES projects, the Renewable Energy Zone projects, technically are only classified as RES projects when they connect to the new transmission lines at Energy Co's building. Right. You've got other projects that don't connect, and they might all be, ra- be running now. So Bedenga Wind Farm, for example, is already running. It's in the same area. Mm. You stand on top of one of those turbines, you'll be able to see Twiggy Forest wind turbines down there, mm. but one's part of the res and one's not part of the res. So you've got things like the Bedenga Wind Farm, you've got the Light Source BP, the solar farm there that's already in operation, yep. a new one that's being built. All of those are outside the res. So but it'll all eventually fit into the grid, won't it? They all those ones now are straight back into the grid. Yeah. But the reason you've got the res, the reason the state government's going ahead with this whole concept of the res is that all of these projects there, if you built these thirty seven projects, you haven't got enough capacity in the grid to get that power back to where it's being used because we're not using 42% of the power in the state. Mm. Obviously it's back towards the coast. You've got to get the power mm. back there. In the past the power was generated on the coast and a small amount of power that we needed out here had to be transmitted mm. out. But now it's the opposite. Mm. Most of the power is going to be generated out here or out across the reses and it needs to get back to the coast where the population live. Mm. So the ones that are in their existence now aren't technically res projects, but they're still renewable projects. Yep. They're still contributing money to our economy. They're still having power generated to help the long-term target of getting to the stage where we're not burning any coal. Yep. So all of that is fantastic. So that's part of the 11.5 gigawatts. Another part of that is that you'll see some of this 11.5 gigawatts may not come to fruition. So those 37 projects are projects that are already in operation, already in construction, in planning phases. So some of those may not come to final completion. Mm. They may change along the way. Depends on what happened. They may upgrade that 6 gigawatt res, although I don't see that happening in the near future, but there's a whole range of variables Mm. there. Having more than the 6 gigawatts makes sense and is fine, but Mm. that's pretty exciting. There are 26 different proponents, so different companies, that are going to be delivering those 37 projects. Squadron is certainly a big part of that. The other thing that was exciting, when you've got the Minister for Climate Change and Energy, when you've got Andrew Forrest standing there talking about what's happening, then Twiggy's talked about, and he talked about this before, 14 gigawatts is what he is basically committing to delivery in the Australian market in energy. Now, that's a fair amount of energy that you're going to deliver, given the fact that this whole Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone will be maybe 11.5 gigawatts. He's going to be delivering more than that. He did talk about the fact that his long-term commitment is 20 gigawatts, but he can't say that's definite yet, but the 14 gigawatts, 
that's basically committed, like the squadron one down here. Yep. That's basically committed and happening. So that's pretty exciting from an Australia point of view as well. And Twiggy's not a silly man. Mm. He's got enough money that he's obviously been successful in the past and he's not going to go and back a loser. And he talked mm. about it yesterday, mm. or sorry, the day that the, the sod turning was happening. He talked about the fact that if you want to build nuclear, if you want to keep burning coal, power is going to be more expensive. And he's the one putting his money on the line. And that's the thing that many people talked about at the sod turning. Twiggy talks about this. Mm. But he's prepared to put his money. And yeah. yes, he's got a few dollars, but yeah. I don't care how much money anyone's got. People don't like wasting money. They don't like throwing yeah. away money. He's only going to do that if he believes there's a return for him. So he's absolutely committed to delivering for the Australian market and I'm sure for his investments as well. Yeah. But having said that, we've dealt, and certainly personally I've dealt with, a number of these different proponents. And some of them can be difficult to deal with. Some of them are really focused on their bottom line. Some of them are focused on delivering for their own organisation. What I found in our dealing so far with Squadron is that they are very focused on making sure the community gains some of the benefit, shares some of the benefit. Can I just sort of pick you up there in regards to that? Because that's obviously one of the things I would be suggesting that the listeners out there right now are probably going, look, Twiggy Forrest is a very successful businessman. He's been very successful in the mining sector. Right now, he's seeing the fact there's a massive opportunity here, I'd suggest, within the renewable energy zone. Using all of this area as, as a base point, I suppose like the modern-day mining in many ways, this is the way that we can look at it almost. This is modern-day mining in the sense we're mining the, the natural sources of the solar energy and the wind energy and things like this. If you've got a, a big open-cut mine in area, I'd imagine that there would be in those areas that there's money that people get to, to have those mines operating in those spaces. Um, we've talked about this at length many times in regards to what is is the return for us in our community with this huge operation. And it's really pleasing to hear you saying here that the Twiggy Forest is committed uh, towards offering financial uh, returns here for people within our community, and councils I'm assuming within our community. Is, is this correct? Is there any sort of financial figure he's putting on this yet? And is the federal government prepared to, to jump in yet and start to financially support this as well? Well, not, I can't tell you a dollar term where the federal government says, here you go, here's X dollars to go and put towards this specific project. Obviously, the federal government's committed to all of this, but mm. when you talk about benefits back to the community, there's a, a, a multi-layers, I would suggest, of benefits that a community will gain from it. The first thing that they talked about at the sod turning, and we all know this is the case, is that you're bringing in large pieces of equipment They've got to be on large trucks. Mm. You can't bring them in on substandard roads. So the first thing that we will see is before any wind turbines start popping up there is the roads that they will travel on need to be upgraded. And one of the important intersections is the intersection at Goomba Road and 12 Mile Road. Now, anyone that's gone from Wellington across to Mudgee knows that as you're mm. driving along, you turn left towards where the jail is mm. and that intersection there is a dangerous intersection. Now, we as a council, we haven't upgraded that. That road is a is a, a road, the Goomba Road there, is a yep. road that the state government looks after. Uh, Tormile Road is one of our roads, but that intersection there, we would love to see that upgraded, but there hasn't been the money from the state or from council to do any upgrades to that. Suddenly, there's going to be a major project out there. The proponent will be spending the time and the effort and the money to go and do that. We've been involved in that process because it was a tricky process where the ownership of that land was, where that sat, and we had to do mm. some negotiations there. So we actually were involved to help that all happen. But again, it wasn't any council money. It was all squadron energy money mm. that was used to do that. So you'll see roads being upgraded. Fantastic. So even if you don't 
leave any of those properties, you're not near those, you'll say, gee, the roads are good out here. So that's mm. the first thing. The second thing is, of course, there'll be employment. I mentioned there before, 262 jobs they estimate during construction. Now, construction's not going to go forever. That project will probably be finished in the next two years. What, what are we? Maybe three years at most, I'd say. So that's employment for a short period of time in the whole scheme of things. But there's lots of these projects, mm. so that employment mm. will continue on. And then there'll be employment afterwards running it, but they don't take a lot of people to run. But you'll see that. Then you've got the farm holders or the, the owners of that land. Now, no one's making them do this. And Chris Bowen certainly has made mention of this before. I've heard him in Canberra, and I certainly heard him say it again at the sod turning. Mm. No one's making these landholders go and put renewable projects on their land. But when you talk to the landholders in this particular scenario, and, and anyone that I've talked to involved with wind farms, they love it because they get guaranteed off-farm income Every year they know they're getting X dollars from each wind farm, plus or minus a little bit, but mm. they can pretty much bank on that money and they can run that farm pretty much the way they've always run it, given the fact that a wind turbine doesn't take up much of your space. So most of these are grazing rather than cropping yep. land. So you can still have your cattle or your sheep walking around. In fact, during winter, they like the pads that they sit on because they're a bit warm. You've got oh, okay. transformers right. there. Yes. So they go and sit on those. They typically get upgraded roads because again they've got to bring some of these pieces of equipment in so the company will typically upgrade those roads mm. and sure there'll be a bit of interruption while some of the construction work is happening but that's short term compared to the next 25 mm. years or more that that will sit there and then on top of all of that you have the community benefits fund mm. and that's With where some, we have talked about there is it now is 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 twiggy forest committed to this is there some sort of percentage factor which well, we've talked in the past about different percentages that uh, companies are prepared to give um is there a percentage based on this or is it a set figure or what sort of uh, financial uh, returns are they talking about here? Well, our target from council is 1.5%. Yeah. Now, not every proponent is prepared to come to 1.5% and mm. it's a negotiation where we don't hold all the cards, unfortunately, because we're not the consent authority. So we've got to negotiate in the best possible mm. way. But is this 1.5% of the cost of the actual operation? Is that right? So what it is, is it's technically 1.5% of the capital investment value, so the CIV, yeah. And then that amount is divided typically by 25 years and then indexed. Mm. So if I want to do a really simple calculation, if, for example, the total cost of the project and take 1.5% of that was $25 million, that was the 1.5% calculation, yep. then we would say, great, that's $1 million per year, but each year that would be indexed. So by the 25th year, you'd be getting it, whatever the indexed mm. amount was. Mm. So that's nice income to come. And then there'll be certain projects that you'll try and do. They'll be in that agreement because it's their money. It'll be the type of projects you want to see worked on and you want to see it around that area. But you're not going to spend all of that money on a road just around that yep. wind turbine, for example. You yep. want to see it spent in that community. So that's the sort of target. Now, I did say when I was talking to Andrew Forrest, I did congratulate the... I suppose attitude that I've seen from Squadron in all the dealings we've had with Squadron, or whether it's a culture that has come from Twiggy or whether it's a culture that's been built up by, say, Jason Willoughby, the CEO, mm. they've been very keen to make sure the community is a partner in this. And so when we've said 1.5% CIV and here's how that would work, we think it's a reasonable sum of money. We're not being unreasonable. Mm. And Squadron Energy have said, Yes, we're happy with that, and here's how we'd like to be spent. And those negotiations and discussions have been very positive. So I did certainly mention that to Andrew and say congratulations to Jason, your CEO, congratulations to Squadron. We found you very good to deal with. Obviously, 
Andrew Forrest is not sitting on those negotiations. Mm. But I thought it was important mm. for him to hear the fact that we've found those negotiations yeah. to be Which very I, positive. I imagine from his perspective, it's very important he needs to hear that as well. Yeah, that's right. And I'm sure Jason Willoughby likes me saying it as well from <laughs> yeah, that perspective. Right. Exactly. But I, I think out of all that, there are other ones where we've managed to get, say, 0.6 or 0.8%, and they've been projects that typically haven't paid anything. So we've had some small victories there, mm. but that would be our target ongoing, that 1.5%. And then I also talked about the REACT Centre, which we've talked about before. Yep. And in that, I had a, a document, a, a preliminary business case that I managed to, to get into Andrew Forrest's hands. Oh, okay, and well done. Chris Bowen as well. Actually, it was interesting with Chris Bowen. I've spoken to Chris Bowen a few times in Canberra, and I've talked to him about the res and what I think the federal government should be doing and how they should be working in that, and including some of these negotiations around community benefits funds. Mm. And when you're talking to ministers, you hope you're getting some cut through. You hope they're remembering what you're talking about. Mm. But they meet with a lot of people, so you can't be sure. But what I was really impressed with was when the media conference started, when Andrew Forrest spoke and then Chris Bowen spoke, the first thing he did was he acknowledged that, thanks to the Mayor of Dubbo for coming along here, and... I know the Mayor of Dubbo is a really big renewable energy advocate and this area is very progressive. And, and I saw the Mayor driving his EV. It's parked over there and he talked before about EV and some policies around EV. So he talked about oh, that's that. impressive. He obviously remembers you very well. That's yes. right. And I said that to him afterwards. I said, look, I'm impressed, Chris. So I said, I've talked to you a few times in Canberra, but yeah. I've talked to you when there have been other people who talked to you after me and did you mm. really remember that conversation? He said, no, no, I'm very impressed with what's happening out here and I love to see how progressive this council in this area is. It's a very positive feeling coming from this area. So I thought that was all positive mm, as well. Mm. And certainly the feedback that I've certainly had, you mentioned that you noticed it on TV, but with that media throng there, mm. I've had people talk about the fact that Dubbo, Wellington, this area, they're all mentioned. You've got Chris Bowen, you've got Andrew Forrest. Very positive news story and very positive to let people across the nation see what a progressive, modern area we're living mm, in here mm. and how we're solving some of the problems that need to be solved for the nation. I think that's oh, all absolutely. very positive. Well, I think we've talked about before, I think we need to put up some big signs around the place simply saying the fact that you're now uh, entering a renewable energy zone. Yeah, it's not you a know? bad idea, actually. Make a big thing of it. I, I like it that much. I might steal that and take it to the next council committee. <laughs> I'm at Dubbo um, Aquatic Leisure Centre. Uh, we've had a few discussions in regards uh, to Belgravia Leisure, who's the group that's uh, operating as a management team down there these days. I noticed there the fact that uh, there's been, uh, well, there was another closure um, that's happened um, of the centre, and all I picked up on was basically the headlines in regards to uh, there was a staff member involved and... Um, there was, uh, therefore, due to the nature of the incident, we were having to close the centre. Um, now, I know you probably can't go into any specific details in regards to what actually happened in the incident, but is is this another issue that's causing council concern in regards to this operating team, or is this just simply sometimes in, in operations, this is the way things go some days? It's a concern. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And I suppose the thing is that if it was the first incident that had occurred, with Belgravia Leisure, then you'd say that's unfortunate and you'd move on. But because there have been several incidents, then people obviously get more concerned each time something happens. Mm. In this case, and you're right, I can't talk about it too much. Our, as in councils, WHS team leader is preparing a report to just look at exactly what happened. So it would be unfair of yeah. me to talk in no, detail about the things that, that I'm aware of and that have happened there. But people are generally aware that there was an accident there was or an incident, let's call it an incident, mm. in the plant room and a staff member did end up for a, a short stay in hospital just to make sure that that staff member was okay. okay. And while that occurred, the pool was shut down because if there was something that was a major risk, 
you wouldn't want patrons there at the pool while that was happening. So a very quick analysis was done of that to make sure that it was still safe, that something more dangerous wasn't about to happen. Once that was clarified, then it was opened up again. So it was opened up again the same day that it occurred. But again, it's one of those things that it's a simple thing that could happen and, and a whole range of things. We've had things where we've had plant failure, so equipment's fail, which yep. might have shut down the pool. Or, and I'm not saying this is what's happening in this case, but individuals can make mistakes. Humans are humans still. Yes. People can make mistakes there. But it just seems to be that stacking up of issue after issue. I think that's, the, that's probably the bigger concern, I think, from a general public's point of view, isn't it? The fact that there just seems to be just one incident after another that unfortunately seems to be occurring um, a bit too regularly. Yeah, and we certainly look at the contract, have discussions with Belgravia, make sure from a legal perspective we're doing things abiding by the contract from council's perspective. We want to make sure that Belgravia is doing things adhering to that contract as well. Mm. But ultimately what we want is three great pools that our community can use that are managed really well and people have a great time there and there have been a few too many hiccups and certainly councillors are concerned about it, council staff are concerned about it. Belgravia, we've talked about it before, Mm. they've got hundreds of leisure centres that they manage across Australia and New Zealand. So Mm. this isn't their first rodeo. No, no, that's right. So obviously some things are happening there and we do know staff are hard to get. We know that employment in Dubbo, most employers I talk to, find it hard to get staff. You need minimum staff numbers to run certain activities at all the Mm. pools there. So you need that. So I'm not making excuses for them, but I'm I'm saying it's a tough employment environment at the moment in general terms for whatever business you might be in. We'll keep monitoring that. I still think, and this is the critical part here, I still think the decision to go external was the right decision. Now, when you look at the the plain finances of it, and we're talking about four hundred thousand dollars difference here, to bring it or to keep it external, sorry, to keep it internal as it was mm. compared to going external. Now it's been external before, and there weren't necessarily the same number of issues. So going external as a concept is not wrong per mm. se. Mm. In the particular situation here, we've had some incidents there that's been disappointing. But you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to say, well. That whole concept of going external yeah. was wrong because you've had well, something well, go wrong. The, a huge amount of time it's been external, to be honest. In the history yeah. of the Dubbo Pool, it's, it's predominantly been an external operator. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I don't think that part's wrong. It'd be like buying a new car and you buy brand X in a new car mm. and you have a, a little accident down the street two days later and you say, oh, well, that's it. I'm not going to buy brand X. I'll get rid of brand X. I'll go back to brand Y because I didn't have an accident brand Y. Well, mm. if the reason you went to brand X is still valid, stick with that. Essentially, the fact that you had uh, an unfortunate incident doesn't mean that the decision was the wrong decision. Mm. It just means it was an unfortunate incident. Is, it, is there a review process that goes on with this? Uh, is there a point in time where, where council will sit down and go, okay, we need to review the current operation? That's a constant ongoing process with okay. any of our external contractors. So our caravan park, for example, is managed externally. I think I think that was a 10-year contract that we did with NRMA for that particular one. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you sign the contract, hand it over and say, we'll see you in 10 years' time. You do have an ongoing review process, and if an incident occurs, you review it again. So there is that ongoing process, but it's about relationships. You want to have that relationship with any organisation you're dealing with, whether it be an employee, whether it be an external contractor, so that you can have those conversations and get the best decisions for everyone. Because Belgravia doesn't want to have accidents. They don't want to have staff members in hospital. They don't have the pool shut down. Where is the value in Belgravia for any of that happening? So they obviously don't want any of that. We don't want that. Our patrons don't want that. Mm. So everyone wants to work towards the same end Mm. point. Mm. It's just a matter of getting it right and what 
what I would love to see is a bit of clear air where Belgravia can just do what Belgravia do. And I think the potential we've got there with them running the pool is they can use all their expertise to do an exceptional job and run the pool much better than our staff could ever do it because that's their specialty. I'm not yeah. saying anything against our staff, but that's their specialty. That's what they do day in, day out. They should have better processes in place than we could possibly have if we were just running three pools. Mm. Now, speaking of uh, some issues that sort of came up over uh, the Christmas break, um, I read with interest there that, uh, might have been on the front page of Liberal there the other day, that uh, a family um, were quite upset, and I'd suggest understandably so, in regards to uh, getting access uh, for, to the cemetery to, to bury a loved one. Um, what's happened here, Matt? Has, has there been a, an issue that's taken place? Were, were there staff members in place to allow access of for burials to take place or was this a decision made by council to close up over the Christmas break? Uh, was it an oversight or what happened? Yeah, look, I think we got it wrong in terms of the process. It's hard to think through every possibility and let me say that I've dealt with people over my time as mayor and, and time on council that have been in a situation that's involved someone who has died, whether it be involving with a funeral, whether it be involving the weir, for example, many years ago. Mm. And it's a very tough position to be in when you're dealing with someone that's had a death. And you aren't personally responsible, of course. I'm the mayor. I'm not there doing individual things and making individual yeah. actions happen. Yeah. But you still feel as the mayor responsible for that. And it's a terrible feeling to have when you're having those discussions with people. So mm. certainly from that perspective, my heart goes out to anyone that's in that situation. Christmas time would be a terrible time to lose someone close. So I absolutely feel for them. And you want things to go as smoothly as possible. You don't want to be told you can't bury your loved one for a certain period of time mm. because we haven't got our processes in place. Yeah. What changed this year was we had a longer period of time of a close down of our main operation. So you talk about our main customer centre in Dubbo and Wellington, for example, then we found that the numbers that go through there in early January are pretty low. You're not getting lots of the normal activities. People aren't lodging DAs at the beginning of January. They don't come back and go, right, quick, as soon as it's open, I'm going to mm. run in and lodge that DA. So things are pretty quiet there. And we also have had a fairly big build-up of annual leave with our staff during COVID. And so that's not healthy for an organisation to have too much annual leave for our staff. So mm. we wanted to go through a process and reduce that. So instead of coming back the first possible day at the beginning of January, we opened up council operations again on the 8th of January to make sure that we still had emergency operations in place. And I had a few people I spoke to said, so what happens if this happens over Christmas? Mm. Ring the normal number, 68014000. And we've got a process in place that if you've got an emergency, if there's a burst water main or whatever it might be, yep. there's someone in place to do that. If you just want to pay your rates, then I'd say it's not an emergency. Wait until the council building is open again, and then you can go in and... and pay your rates, hand over a check mm. or whatever you want to do if you want mm. to physically pay your yes. rates. Yes. So we set up a whole range of, I suppose, a flow chart, a, a, a flow chart in terms of our uh, virtual office that was set up. So when a phone call comes in, goes to the virtual office, and the flow chart said, if it's involving this, then this is the person you contact. If it's involving that, that's the person you contact. So it had this flow chart there. And in that flow chart, we just didn't put enough attention towards burials mm. and being able to access cemeteries to get a burial to occur. Mm. We did let the funeral homes know right back at the beginning of November that this was our plan, that we're going to shut down over that period. And Was there any objection from the funeral homes at that point in time? Did they turn around and say, 
wait a minute, uh, this could create a problem? Uh, no, but to be fair to the funeral homes, I probably think that they thought there would still be a process still be in place. There, yeah. That's okay. right. And anyone thinking about it or looking at it would probably say, yeah, there'll be a process in place to do that. It'll all be okay. Mm. But again, what you're doing when you're dealing with an external organisation, you put a flowchart together, you've got to have every part of the flowchart set up in exactly the right way. So when that flowchart was put together, then essentially it's, uh, it's probably something that we could have done. <coughs> Could have done a bit better. Mm. And the funeral home is who you deal with in the first instance. So you're not ringing council and saying, can I get a burial? Because you're not organising it. The funeral home is organising it. Mm. So it's, it throws a little bit more complication into the works there yeah. where it's the individual dealing with the funeral home. Funeral home deals with council to get a grave dug and then set up that burial time, etc. So we'll learn from that. I don't think, again, the concept of closing now for that longer period of time was the wrong decision in general. Most things work well. And I had a couple of phone calls over Christmas where someone had an issue. And I said, just try the 68014000. I want to see if that works well. And let me know how you go. And they came back to me and said, yep, I did that. And that problem was solved and it was all good. So it did work. But again, there's always going to be a situation, sounds like here, that this is this is sort of, I wouldn't say slip through, but it appears as though, as you say, it's been an oversight that unfortunately, you know, it created quite an emotional response, I suggest, from the families in regards to who were affected by it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, look, I'm sorry for those people that were affected by that. Uh, again, I, I don't think we've got it quite right, so I apologise on behalf of, of Council for that. Mm. But we'll learn from that and make sure that we get those little things just tidied up for next time around mm. so that, again, we've got a process in place that can make sure it can happen. And, but look, people reached out. And the problem got solved eventually, but it was more complicated than it should have been, mm. I suppose. Is, mm. is That's the number one issue there. But yep. we had another one, which isn't the same issue, where some of the roadworks at the Geary Cemetery, for example, some of those roadworks weren't at a standard that a hearse could actually get down. Oh, so the okay. funeral provider in that case said, oh, I can't get my hearse down that road. But again, we tidied it up and got that worked out because yep. when it comes to funerals, you don't want to say, sure, we'll schedule that in our roadworks in yeah, six months' time absolutely. that'll be done. So yeah. there are things happening all the time. And what you can do is, it's all about communication. If someone's got a problem, then mm. reach out to myself, a counsellor, reach out to the CEO. If there is an issue there that needs to be solved urgently, then we'll make sure it gets done when it's needed to be done. Mm. Oh, that's good. Now, it's no great surprise. We you turn on the news at night and you pick up any paper and you'll see the fact that uh, enormous rental price increases across Australia, it's, it's you know, not just in the capital cities, but in the uh, the regional areas as well. Um, those uh, people out there amongst us today who are renting uh, are noticing it very uh, strongly, I'd suggest, each month in regards to how things are going there and how much the price are rising. Dubbo, are we in a situation right now where the rental prices are increasing, you know, at that sort of national average around that 8 to 10%? That seems to be the case. Not quite, but it is still tough. The rental prices in Dubbo are still pretty tight. And let me just give you some data from from the big picture, if you like. Mm. Vacancy rates across the nation are below 1.5% in 80% of all precincts across the nation. Below 1.5%. So it's pretty low. Right. And yeah. I've certainly talked to real estate agents in Dubbo, and they've talked about vacancy rates typically below 1% in Dubbo. So mm. that's not uncommon across the nation. Mm. And you've got a whole range of reasons for that. You've got uh, a low supply of new dwellings is occurring. You've got, obviously, high demand. People are moving to Australia. People are having babies mm. in Australia. Uh, so our population is rising. And so you've, you've got those two problems. And you've also got this problem with the number of people per household. Mm. So the median people per household 110 years ago was 4.53. 
we've now got 2.54 per household. So that's obviously changing. That's the 2021 census. So I I compared the 1911 census to the 2021 census. So it hasn't quite halved. Australian population is rising. Household populations are literally going to half what they were. Almost, yeah. Which is like, so where one house used to do the job, now we're going to have two homes. And if you double your population, you have to four homes. That's right, yeah. There you go, that's right. So so all of that creates a bit of a perfect Mm. storm. The intergenerational report said that the population growth over the next 40 years will be an additional 13.1 million people or 50% growth. Mm. So that's going to put more pressure on all of that. So what that's done to rental prices, and I'll focus specifically on this. This is one of my articles I wrote over Christmas on rental prices rather than house prices because there's two different markets there. Mm. Some people can't see themselves buying or they can't for a whole range of reasons. They need to rent. So it's all important. So if you look at that, on 2023, the calendar year 2023, across the nation, rental prices went up by 8.3%. And then you go back the last two years before that, it was 9.5% in 2022 and 9.6% in 2021. Yeah, so it's been constant, hasn't it, for the last three or four years. That's right. And the other thing that's a bit scary is that the household income across the board for rental mm. sits at about 31%. So for right. the average or the median renter, 31% of the Income they receive goes straight to their rent. So wow. that's a that's a big pre- whack. It is a pretty tough position to be in. Mm. In Dubbo, and I looked at data from the REA group, the median rental price for a house in Dubbo at the moment is four sixty. Right. Whereas in Sydney, for example, it's seven fifty. Right. So yeah. even though yeah. prices are going up and they're going up in Sydney, obviously, then we're still much better off. The increase we saw last year was only 2.2%, so not as bad. Oh, okay. If you're a landlord, you might say that's terrible. You'd yep. rather go up by 7 8 Because 10%. they're talking in some places 8 to 10%, and you're saying here the W went up, what, 2.2%. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, and again, I talked about those national averages before. If I start mm. to look at capital cities, Sydney went up by 13.6%. Yeah, yeah. Melbourne, 146 Perth, 12.7. Adelaide, 12.0. So it's a big increase. So the 2.2 yeah. wasn't too bad. Yeah. And this is the challenge that... One of the challenges we have, while we're at four sixty a week, that's mm. much more attractive than seven fifty. Mm. Someone in Sydney says I could pay three hundred dollars less per week. Now, when you think about it, you might be able to have a job that you can still do from home. Mm. You might be able to work for the same employer, earn the same money, three hundred dollars less per week mm. is a significant chunk of change left in your pocket. I think other costs of living would be less in Dubbo as well. Yep. Just your transport costs, for example, you're going to pay less because you're not oh, travelling as far. So yeah, absolutely. a whole range of ventures there. But it's still, when I say that 460 a week, that's still tough for some people. So one of the things that we've got to try and do as a city, as a council, mm. is see how we can help that. Now, is there anything council can do or is this really up to just the force of nature? Well, not quite the force of nature. I'd love to be able to say to the landlord's, you're charging too much, charge less, mm. and wave my finger at them <laughs> and use my magical power to do that. But, of course, I don't have that power. I also don't have the power to make developers build more. Mm. Right? We need more housing. That'll take some pressure off the demand. So you developers out there, build more houses. I can't do that either. What we can do are a few things that are probably subtle, but they can make a difference. So the first thing I love is the fact that we've got our developer forums. And developer forums, I think, play an important role in just education. So when we have those developer forums, we talk about some of this data, we talk about what's happening in growth, we talk about the opportunities, talk about the res and the people that's going to bring in, all these sorts of things. And in the room, the developers who are happy to develop and happy to generate income from that development say, well, maybe I could build some more housing and I could choose where to build it. Mm. Well, Dubbo sounds like a pretty good place to invest Mm. in my building of that new home. So that helps some of that. We've also got, I think, a responsibility to try and make sure 
our approval processes are as streamlined as legally possible. It was interesting at the sod turning, Chris Bowen and Andrew Forrest, but more Chris Bowen, were asked about approvals and are you going to basically waive these renewable energy projects through and not worry about normal approval processes? Mm. And Chris Bowen, and it was supported by Andrew Forrest, said, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. They've still got to go through the right planning processes. But what we've got to do, and these are his words, we've got to get to the stage where we've got a yes or a no for a project quicker. Mm. Not Mm. saying let's just skip over all the regulatory processes that have to occur. We've got to get to an answer still, but we've got to get to that answer quicker. And that's Mm. one thing we can do with housing is get to the stage where we're doing those approvals quicker. Mm. Now, we need more staff to do that. We're always short of staff like every Mm. employer out there. More staff and make sure that we're saying to them, do these Still go through all the normal processes you'd go through, but do them legally as quick as you possibly can because Mm. the quicker we get them out the door, the quicker we get them built. So that's important as well. And then different densities of housing is something that we've certainly been looking at rather than a traditional two, three, four-bedroom home that might have been seen regularly in Dubbo. We've seen already the number of people per house is reducing. So why are you going to keep building those larger houses? So do we look at more around medium density, more around duplexes or mm. flats or mm. maybe two-storey townhouses. Well, it's funny you should mention that because that seems to be a, a big factor with the state government. They're doing that in Sydney right now. There's those elected uh, areas, suburbs, where I suppose the transport links are going to be happening and uh, they're certainly putting pressure on those like councils there to, you know, I suppose to increase the medium-density, high-density housing area. Mm. And I, I still get excited by the developments we're seeing in our main street at the moment where we've got apartment blocks yes. that will spring up and make... The main street of Dubbo looked yeah. like a big Very excited to see that one, the particular one overlooking the uh, the river there, which is well underway. That'll be yeah, really interesting to see right. how that goes. It's, it's exciting seeing all the work that's happening there. And, yeah. and some of the cranes we've seen operation there, there'll be bigger cranes you've ever seen in Dubbo. Yeah, that's right. So that's all exciting, but that's different living. Mm, that's it is. where people are saying, well, do I really need the big backyard? And every Saturday morning I get up and mm. I do park run, then I go home and mow the lawn and then go out and have a coffee. Mm. Well, I just go and do park run and go and have a coffee. I don't need to worry about mowing mm. the lawn if I live in an apartment. So all of that's important. And of course, new construction methods, how we go about that. And one of the things that we've talked about before is 3D printing. Mm. And one of the things that we had to do as a council is say, we want to encourage 3D printing. Well, what are the regulatory processes there? Mm. How do our staff have the tools to be able to say, yes, that development using a new construction method is a legal complying development, given the fact that it is new. Mm. So whether it be modular housing, whether it be 3D printed housing, we need to be continually at the mm. forefront of that, not mm. doing the building. We're not going to go out and build these houses, yep. but make sure that when a, a developer comes along and knocks on our door and says we want to do that, we need to be ready and make sure we're ready to take advantage of all that. Yep. So we want to keep the growth happening. Mm. We want to make sure that we've got people who are willing to invest and see the reasons to invest. We want to make sure that Dubbo is still a livable place, and livable can be how much you have to pay in rent. Yes. So they're all important to make sure we keep growing Dubbo, but again, we want to keep growing Dubbo as well. So well, it's like a challenge. As well. Absolutely. And for all the listeners out there uh, in Sydney right now and sitting on your average of 780 or 790 bucks a week uh, rent, Dubbo, 470 So there you go. Come out here, folks. We're so, still $300 cheaper. So 750 and 460 just to be pretty. Oh, there, there we go. Okay, there you are. Still 300 bucks, nearly. <laughs> now... Speaking of homes and, uh, and all those sort of wonderful things, I've noticed here that uh, a little bit of discussion uh, held over uh, the Christmas break with a few different organisations you've had here, Matt, in regards to the potential for some 3D printed housing in Dubbo. Now, you just mentioned that um, in the last segment there. 
Is, is this a reality? Are, are we moving that quickly now to go to the 3D printed homes? Yeah, absolutely. And I was pretty excited by this. I was contacted out of the blue by a couple of different organisations. Just talking about so a few fast? Because really the discussion has only been going on for a few months, really, hasn't it? Well, a little bit longer than that. It was 2022 when council first resolved to set aside four blocks of land for a future development of councils that was specifically for 3D printed housing. Mm. So that was the first trigger. And that then got some conversations happening. We were contacted by different companies, literally from around the world. Mm. Singapore, uh, we had a video conference with a company in Singapore who does that type of construction work. So that started the conversation. On the back of that, we had to work out, our staff had to work out how they could approve any applications that came in that were going to be printed with the 3D method. Mm. And then, of course, we printed the 3D toilet block. And the reason we printed that was we saw it being a cheaper method, a faster method, but also it was a way to demonstrate that we understood the regulatory processes and we were confident that this technology was certainly at a mature enough stage and certainly yep. it's being used around the world. It definitely is at the maturity that it can be used. Mm. On the back of that, and that certainly gained huge publicity around the nation, probably a bit of international publicity as well, mm. some organisations, and some of these reached out, and again, I think it was just a bit of downtime over Christmas, they had a chance just to pick up the phone. I'm not part of the planning process and don't need to be yep. consulted as part of this, but they were keen to have a discussion with me just to get some of my feedback around the experience that we've had with 3D printing and, and where the Dubbo community is at with that. Right. But there were, and I can't talk about the company names at this stage, but certainly there is one company who is well advanced into the planning just to build a trial home for a particular targeted audience that they deal with. Okay. And they yeah. said they want to build a target duplex just to test it out and see how that goes because if that works, they want to be able to build more of that. And, of course, they've chosen Dubbo mm. for that because they've seen the experience that we've already had. They know that our council is ready to make those approvals, a progressive advanced council, et cetera, yep. et cetera. So that's yep. all good for and, our community. And council will be happy enough to allow this to come through as, as being an option for development? It'll still have to tick the boxes, but yep. we know the boxes that need to be ticked now. Mm. And mm. it's fair to say that the challenge for our staff before we started on this journey mm. was that, we all heard about 3D printed housing, mm. but no one knew how you could say that this was a legal complying development. What did you need to do? How did mm. you need to test it to make mm. sure it was okay? So by going down that path and working that part of it out, yep. then we're now ready. So when they put an application in again, a bit like the renewables, we yes. can't just go 3D printed. Oh, no approval needed. Off you go. Yep. Print whatever you want. There'll still be plans that need to be submitted and they'll still need to be looked at and there'll still need to be inspections by mm. our staff during that process or various people that are involved with that to make sure that it's still going to be a building that stands up and is fine. But the, the beauty of that is that that will open up the potential for that targeted group that they're working with yep. to have one extra house. Now, that's only one. Mm. That's not that big mm. in the whole scheme of things. But this is a trial for them. They mm. want to go ahead with that. But then I had another conversation, a couple of people actually from this organisation, who have a well-advanced plan to build 60 affordable homes around Dubbo, right. again, using 3D printing. And wow. So, so you've got one group there saying we want to trial with one. Another group sorry, at the point saying we want to do 60 straight off the bat. 60, yeah, because they've seen already, and they've actually already been at, I didn't know about it, they just came and visited Dubbo and had a look at the 3D printed toilet yep. and have investigated. And obviously they're looking at it all over the place, but they've said again, we need somewhere to go. We figure we're better off going somewhere where we know mm. the council is open-minded, supportive, progressive, etc. So they want to do that. Now, the thing that they love about this is, and I spoke to one of the architects from, from this particular firm, he said that when you look at something like building 60 affordable homes, what you're often doing is you're building a standard box. They take a plan. It's cheaper for them to take a mm. standard plan 
replicate that 60 times. It's much easier to order in materials that suit that. Everything looks the same. Mm. Everything's the same. And it looks pretty boring. Mm. He said from his perspective as an architect, what he loved is that he can have 60 different plans or 10 different plans or mm. a range of different plans that can look very different. They still need to satisfy the requirements to make it affordable and to have a certain number of room, bedroom, etc. they need. Yeah. Yeah. But he said we could have them side by side if we wanted to. And they'd mm. be completely different homes. No one would identify those as being affordable homes because sometimes there's a bit of stigma attached to affordable or social housing in particular. Oh, yeah. Mark, you're living in social housing, are yeah. you? Oh, dear, that's a shame, isn't it? So sometimes it can be that stigma, unfortunately, and that's just a reality of society. Mm. But when you build homes like this, it'd be, wow, look at that fantastic-looking home you've got. And that's what he was most excited about, that you could build 60 homes that are all very different, all look very impressive. Mm. But again, we've talked about some of those rental prices in the yep. the last bit we just talked about in terms of the pressure on those, the way you take pressure of those, again, I can't go and tell people to put their prices down, but what we can do is if we've got enough housing in Dubbo, that supply and demand scenario mm. will mean mm. that pricing, the, the heat goes out of pricing mm. and pricing doesn't go up by the same level. It becomes more competitive again, doesn't it? It becomes more competitive and it means that you've got the ability to satisfy all these employers yeah. who say to me, I want to get people to Dubbo, people want to come to Dubbo. I've attracted someone, but they can't find anywhere to live or yep. it's too expensive for them to live out here. Now, you can have some listeners out there right now um, who I'd be suggesting, uh, you know, they boohooed the idea of the um, the 3D printing toilets. And I'm pretty sure they're going to be jumping up and down pretty quickly now, wanting to know the fact that, well, you know, the toilets over there, that they picked up on a couple of things there in regards. They had, there was a couple of uh, uh, facial cracks and, and they were very quick to want to pick up on those type of things. Um I have a feeling there's a few that are going to be jumping around pretty quickly saying, how dare we even contemplate the idea of going to 60 of these things around town? Um, what would you say to these people? Well, the first thing is that you mentioned the superficial cracks. You didn't mm. use the word superficial, but but I'll steal that word and use yeah, that yeah. word. Well, they are. I was over those toilets the other day. They don't go all the way through. They're a superficial thing on the outside. That's right. And to me, they're toilets. You know, and they do the <laughs> job and they're, they're highly effective. And I don't know what the who are is about. But anyway, that's, I'm on the other side of the fence. Yeah, no, that's fine. So... I think one of the reasons that some of these two organisations or some of these people from these two organisations want to have a chat to me is because they'd seen some of the media around the the debacle of toilets, if I can mm, use that term mm, that I heard, yes, and yes. they wanted to just find out what council's view was rather than potentially the social media view or even the, the mass media view because yeah. sometimes the mass media likes to generate some hype around a story. Yeah. And I told them what our view is, that, as you said, they're toilets, they were built cost-effectively. They were built quickly. They do the job. And concrete sometimes gets some superficial cracks. Yep. The slab that the toilets is built on, if you look at that, you'll see some little hairline cracks in that. Now, that had nothing to do with 3D printing. That was the yeah. same type of slab we'd be putting down if we were building a traditional method or a 3D printer method. Yep. You look at concrete paths, you'll see cracks in those concrete paths. In fact, you'll typically see lines put in where the cracks are meant to propagate, mm. but you only need to ride or walk around our track of Riley and you'll see where we've patched up some of those cracks that have occurred because soil moves. Mm. What these organisations who are focused on building, what they wanted to hear was, is it really as bad as being made out to be mm. or is it just some hype and it's all okay? And I've said certainly go and have a look at those and satisfy yourselves, but we, council... Yeah, take your own structural engineer if you want to and check it all right. out. Do it. We, yeah. we are very satisfied from a structural point of view that they are absolutely fine. And there's been a coat of paint applied to them now. Contour 3 do who built those toilets, put a coat of paint on them, and you can't see the cracks now. Mm. And mm. it's not a matter of covering up the cracks, but I know 
the house that we're sitting in right now when we're doing mm. this recording is a house that we built and we cement rendered the house. It was a traditional building method with brick veneer. We put cement render mm. and lo and behold, we had some cracks. <laughs> and <laughs> what do we do with those cracks? We fill them in and paint the next Because you know what that is, mate? Them. That's aesthetics. That's right. It's, it's the aesthetics, right. not the structural. And there's a big difference. Yeah, that's right. So those people that we'd be worried about 3D printed housing, it's happening all over the world mm. at the moment. There are people doing it. This these companies are going to build these houses. It's not council money. Mm. It's their money that they're going to be used. Mm. They, a bit like Twiggy Forest investing in renewables, you're not going to go and build 60 homes if you think they're going to fall down next mm. week. Mm. You're going to make sure you're satisfied that they're going to be structurally sound. When we do the compliance for it, when it goes through council and we approve the designs, again, we're not going to approve something that we think is going to fall mm. down. If we had concerns about small cracks in mm. a 3D printed structure, then we'd be saying, stop it there. We're not going to let any more of these occur. Stop it all there. Now, mm. they'll still go through the normal planning processes, but mm. I'm pretty excited about all of this. And again, if it's not your money, mm. why are you worried about what's happening? But yeah, look, even from the council's point of view, I bet you any money that the council staff uh, learnt an enormous amount in the whole process of how uh, 3D homes are being printed by setting up the toilets over there right now. I bet you they would have been over there watching and observing. The engineers would have been there watching and observing, seeing how the whole process works. The, the learning that would have taken place, I'd suggest, in watching and seeing how all of this operation from start to finish would have taken place would have been enormous, something you're not going to get from reading off a book or you'd have to maybe go across over to India or wherever the other sort of you know places around the world, America, who are building these 3D printed homes to go and do it. So they would have learnt a lot from that. Therefore, when you have the, you know, these operations coming into town here, wanting to build these homes, you're now talking to people who actually have some knowledge in this area. And that is probably the main reason, as you said before, why they're looking at Dubbo, because you've got people here now who actually have some background knowledge now in regards to, okay, well, that's going to work, that's not going to work, we've seen how this operates now. So for them, this is part of the reason I'm sure they're looking at Dubbo. And I think you're spot on with all of that. One of the criticisms that people had was, oh, no, this 3D printing is too new. It was all done as a bit of a guinea pig in Dubbo. Why didn't you wait till someone else did it? Well, it's okay to be the first. It's okay to help out in that process. And, again, it puts you in a very good position. Mm. If it had been somewhere else that had gone out and done this process, then they might be looking at that particular location for affordable homes. And when I talk about 60 affordable homes, mm. that can make a difference in the housing market in Dubbo. So mm. by being there first, and, again, as you say, by our staff learning a whole range of processes, then – other organisations are turning to council and certainly how the council have looked at yeah. us and talked to us about the 3D printing project and how's it working. And whenever you've got someone who has done something first, you'll always get people asking questions there, but it also mm. puts them in a very strong position to keep leading the way there. Absolutely. So it's not as if we've done it first and then walk away from it. No, no. We've done it first and we will look at this you for other projects. You embrace the concept of that knowledge that you've gained. Mm. Australia Day. Well, it's uh, coming up very soon, uh, only a couple of weeks away now, and I'd be suggesting the fact that uh, over the course of the last few days there would have been some strong deliberations amongst the Australia Day committee here um, to decide upon who were going to be our Australia Day award recipients. So has the, the voting has all been cast and have the nominations been put forward and, uh, you know, have you got the little special envelope there, which I don't want you to disclose now, of course, that'll happen on Australia Day and on those, you know, the ceremonies on the 25th in Wellington, the 26th here in Dubbo. How'd all the, uh, how did it all go? Did we get plenty of nominations this year? We did and I get very excited. I get to sit in on those committees and I try not to involve myself too much in the discussions. I let the committee members who, again, those committee members are great community members as well, mm. give up their time to come along and 
do the judging. Read, there's a lot of reading in all these awards, but I get a bit of a buzz just reading through the awards and seeing mm. the amount of work that people are doing. And it's it's all the different categories. The sports awards, just seeing the achievements of some of our different people from Dubbo and Wellington and, and how well they're going mm. in sport, mm. the people that are contributing in the community, the Citizen of the Year Award nominees and the Senior Citizen of the Year. Mm. You look at some of the involvement, there, the, the length of time some of these people have been involved in different things. It's very exciting. So... Yes, the judging is finished this week. We've done the judging for both Dubbo and Wellington. Wonderful. Looked through all of those. A lot of discussion, and a lot of them were, were pretty tight. There were, yes, okay. there were ones that came down to uh, almost an even vote for that. Wow. The, the chairman of both of those committees likes to get consensus, yeah. but the reality is sometimes you, you can't split them, so it comes down to a vote. Right. And they've been pretty tight, which means that's good. There's some good candidates in there. And as much as people would love to, and there was mm. once years ago, I think, where there was a joint award given out, mm. but the criteria specifically say only a single award. So you've got to make a decision. Mm. As much as mm. sometimes you think, oh, I can't split Mary and Johnny, then you've got to split mm. between Mary and Johnny and, and give one person Does the award. Does it ball down to you sometimes? You have to have the casting vote on any occasion, or is that well, part I, of your role? I, 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 do, so I do try and stay out of the discussion as much as possible. I like the committee to have the discussions, but I've, I've certainly got my choices that I've gone yeah. through, and I listen yeah. to the discussions as well. And, yeah, a couple of times in this scenario, it did actually come down to, okay, which way do you vote on this one? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yep. so you, you kind of feel bad, but you need mm. you need sometimes to have cast, a, a tiebreaker right. there. Yeah. And sometimes it can be on the smallest thing. I mean, it can be they've volunteered on this, this, and this, but mm. they've volunteered on this, 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 and this one over here, or they've done it for, for five more years longer, mm. or in sport it can be... The, the, the real thing with sport is interesting. The process, I suppose, is the representation at the highest level. Now, people can look at different things, mm. but one of the things that we've certainly done typically is the higher level representation you've done that puts you mm. ahead. So if you've managed to compete at Australian Standard yep. and you might have got a, a fourth place at Australian Standard and someone else competed at a state standard but got a first place, mm. which one wins? And so we've typically said, well, the higher level competition, even mm. though the performance mightn't be as good, yep. that seems to trump the lower level. And yep. there's always variances in there. If you came 20th at an Australian standard and there was no qualification, just go mm. and compete, and so on one state standard and you had to go through a range of steps mm. to get there, mm. that would be different. So you've got all these little no, nuances. Is, it's, there's a lot of little subtleties there, isn't there? And, and it didn't happen this year, but I, I remember two of my favourite debates on those committees have been about what is a sports person. And two of those categories in particular that came up, one was bodybuilding right. and one was a jockey. Right. So yes, the, yes. The, the debate around bodybuilding was, is bodybuilding a sport or is bodybuilding a beauty pageant? Now, I'm not mm. going to say how the debate went. Which I've got way my opinion, went. but I'm interested to hear how that discussion would have gone. Yes. Well, yes, but, yes. Well, well, I'll go a little bit further then. Yeah. Obviously, people that are bodybuilders do a lot of physical work, a lot of yeah. physical effort, but they're not judged on an actual weight that they're lifting or not judged on something you can measure. They're judged on how they look when mm. they come out and mm. present themselves. And obviously they're very muscled and mm. I don't want to insult any bodybuilders out there for a whole range of obvious reasons. <laughs> I've got to say, mate, you're picking on the wrong crowd there. <laughs> <laughs> but again, and, and I'm not saying which way I, yeah, I went yeah. on this particular debate, but you can yeah. see the debate there that yes. – a sprinter, someone who's a runner, they say you ran that sprint in 10.2 seconds or mm. you came first in that sprint because you ran at 10.2, someone else ran at 10.3 mm. seconds. But a bodybuilder, oh, you looked better when you came out than this other person, so you get first place. 
well, did that make them just a beauty pageant or did that make it an mm. actual mm. sport? So that was one debate we had. Yeah, and yeah, the other right. one was around the jockey. So there was a, a jockey nominated one year and the debate went around circles a bit there because, well, the horse won the race. Mm. How much did the jockey do? And is the jockey actually a sports person? Then what's the definition of a sports person? Does that Would mean... they say then a person who... Drives in Bathurst in the correct or a that's, Formula One driver. That's you know, right. Is it the car or is it the person? Yeah, try and tell Lewis Hamilton yeah. that he's not a sports person. Absolutely. Try yeah. and tell Peter Brock he wasn't a fantastic Absolutely. sports person. Absolutely, that's right. Try so, and tell his supporters that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. So that's uh, they're interesting debates, but these yeah. are the sort of things the committee and, and they're passionate about it. So they'll yeah. have their views and they'll bring their views forward. So it's it's actually a really Nice experience. I'm mm. disappointed that the whole community can't be involved. Obviously, mm. we can't because it's a secret until yep. Australia Day, until the awards are given out. But it, it's an uplifting experience just to see mm. all these different people that are nominated. Mm. Many years ago, we used to actually talk about the people that were nominated as well as the people who won the award. Mm. We stopped that. And I think it's a good reason to stop it. But in some ways, it was nice when other people who just missed out, mm. we read them out and read some information about them. The problem was that it almost made them feel bad about yep, it in a yep. day because Jimmy beat you, yes. so Jimmy's better than you, and so you, mm. you really want to be a positive feeling. So mm. those people that are nominated may never know they were nominated. Mm. The winner on the day obviously knows they won, mm. and then anyone else, they're oblivious to the fact, so they don't feel bad about it, although yep. there's potential for them to feel good. But yes, anyway, that decision yeah. was made a long time ago. I'm just so pleased, the fact they had so many nominations. Is that yeah, wonderful to see? Yeah, no, it is good. Well, it's hard to believe it's 2024 and uh, we're already, you know, nearly halfway through the month of January. We have a huge year coming up this year, Matt, with so many different events coming through. Um, starting, I'd suggest, with the uh, the Touch Football Carnival that's coming up in February. Uh, it was a massive thing last year and I know it's going to be a massive event again this year. But that's not the only event that's happening this year. So talk us through, Matt. Just remind our listeners of some of the major events that uh, they get to look forward to this year here in Dubbo and the region. Well, it's more than just events, I think. The, the important part here, well, I'll talk about a few different things. So certainly the touch footy that you mentioned there, we think we'll see another 7,000 visitors, three days of competition. We'll see accommodation is sold out. Yeah. Obviously, no, we were sold out the day it was announced, obviously. Uh, we've got further afield, I think, a lot of accommodation in Narromine, in Wellington is sold out, even as far as Gilgandra, and, and some people go as far as Parks to try and get some accommodation. Wow, that's so unreal. that's fantastic. 99 of the 105 camping sites offered at the Dubbo Showground have already been snapped That's up. That's right, go yeah, on. So You've got six left, so jump in quick, those jump in last quick. Six. Well, by the time this goes to air, that probably will have already that's gone. Right. <laughs> so I, I think in general... That's a really positive mm. thing, mm. and that's something that we've got for the next three years, as you remember from when we got it as a yeah. one-off last year, and yep. then it went from there. But that's one event, so that's the New South Wales Touch Junior State Cup. Of course, we've got the Bowls New South Wales State Championship. Yes, that's going to be exciting, isn't it? And yeah. this is a lot of pressure on the Bowls community in Dubbo because they don't take this event outside Metro. Mm. And they're really trying at this time, on the back of some other good events that have been held out in this area. Mm. So if we get it right, Everyone that's in Bowls and will go, great decision, well done, we took it to Dubbo, and we've got the contract for 2024, 2026, and 2028. Wow, that's It'll great, go so. back to Metro in between. If we get it wrong this year, then, oh, not sure what it they'll do in 2026. It might be a one-off event. That's, <laughs> that's right, right. Yeah. But I'm sure we won't. I'm sure the Bowls organisation. Oh, they're a great community that. here in Dubbo too. Yeah, they'll, they'll certainly do that. So when's that on again? Uh, that's in March. Right, yes. one. So you talk about the end of February for the... Touch, uh, just touched in your yep. state cup. So that's March. So you've got a, a very busy beginning of the year. Yep. You've got 
other events, and, and even right now as we speak, there's cricket events going on. There'll be more cricket events in, in December this mm. year, some of those state championships for various age levels, both male and female. But we, I suppose our bread and butter mm. is really the events that have a couple of hundred people come along, mm. parents come along, junior sport, not always junior sport, but just lots of these events that are ticking over. Mm. And they can be conferences, they can be all these type of events that just keep bringing 200 here, 300 here. Mm. The 7,000 mm. is fantastic, mm. but there are so many events throughout the year and, of course, on the back of the zoo, attracting yep. lots of people. But the other thing that I'm excited about is some of our infrastructure projects that we've right. got. So we've got our legacy shared pathway. People have noticed that behind Ollie Robbins Oval. Yeah, it's good down there, there too. Those, those little um, viewing platform areas are becoming yeah. very noticeable now. Yeah, that's look right. Like. Yeah. And I noticed the one that I got involved with where I got to operate the machinery to, to drive down one of the pylons there. It still this, looks yes. like it's intact, so that's good. So <laughs> I did the right thing there. I'm sure they redid it after I went away. That's right. <laughs> okay, he's gone now. Can you just fix it up for us, please? Do it properly. <laughs> That should be open by probably by before April, maybe oh, March cool. sometime. Yeah, yeah, let's nice. say April for that one. We've also got the agreement to move around our funding so that we can build our event precinct down there. Now, that won't be finished this year, but I'm pretty hopeful we'll turn a sod down there this oh, year. Oh, wow. Okay. We've got the Heritage Plaza at the front of the jail. So have we moved forward with that? Is that where it's at the point now? Slowly, but okay. I'm again hopeful that this year, this calendar year, we'll see that one finished. Great. And of course, the other big one is the Radio Cultural Tourism Centre. Yes. That won't be finished this year. We're still waiting on a decision by the federal government to come through with the funding. If we get that decision, then again, we're ready to go. Mm. We'll be turning a sod this year. And we'll have to because we've got certain constraints in terms of time mm. to be able to deliver that to make sure we've got that funding. So a whole range of different Will things. Will the new bridge be open this year? No, the new bridge is still probably two years away. Oh, That's okay. not, not our project, obviously, yeah, so I yeah. don't know the exact timelines on that one. But I suspect that'll be 2026 before that one's built. Mm -hmm. But lots of other projects just in roadworks. There's Wheelers Lane work is being done now as we speak. Yep. So there's lots of those other projects as well. We've also got the bridge out on Saxa Road that we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. will certainly start. We've got the tenders out for that at the moment. In fact, they'll be getting close to being closed, those tenders. Mm -hmm. So that particular bridge as well will be one that will start work on that. Again, not finished till next year as we've talked about before. Mm. But that's a really important one for the renewable energy zone because there'll be some heavy equipment that'll need to come mm. across that one as well. Mm. So pretty exciting year. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of things happening yep. and lots of other little projects bubbling away that I'm not at the stage where I'm confident enough to talk about mm. them mm. publicly yet, but I'm having discussions, having meetings with various organisations that you go, gee, I hope that one comes off. And they mm. don't all come off. It's a bit mm. like a, a sales process. You cook lots of people in a sales environment and some of those people buy stuff from you. You talk to lots of people about doing things in Dubbo, and for a whole range of reasons, they may not go ahead. It may be their funding sources. It may be that the economy changes. It may be that prices of the ore they're going to pull out of the ground might change. So mm. there's a whole range of things that can change, a whole range of variables. We want to do the best we can mm. to facilitate all that. Mm. And, and certainly one of the exciting things that will happen this year for councillors will be our trip over to South Korea and to our sister city in Japan. Okay, and yep. part of that is really focused on that Toongai mine to keep encouraging that investment in that mm. because mm. South Korea is, in, is certainly interested in investing in that mine and that will be great for WO as well. So a pretty exciting year and I'm sure we'll talk about about it. I mean, last year we had a minimum of 10 topics each week that we yes, talked about. Yes. So there were probably 500 different things we spoke about. And you and I know oh. there were never a shortage of things to talk no, about. No, well, there's all the different things we uh, quite often sort of would turn around and go, well, you know, mate, we'll save that to next week. And then we sort of get to it. So, <laughs> That's right. as you say, 500 or so uh, topics, and that was just in one year. So yeah. imagine what we're going to talk about this year. Now, as our listeners are tuning in on this, uh, the Maka Sankranti 
Kite Flying Festival is being held at uh, up at Lady Cutler there, um, and Lady Cutler too at Sandy Beach Road. So that's happening on right now as you're listening, tuning in your ten o'clock podcast. It's kite flying. Kite so flying. can anybody go down and do the kite flying the, this morning? What's happening here? I know very little about it. All I know is that the multicultural community number said, Matthew, could you please come down and fly a kite? I, I thought they were very polite. They didn't tell me to go fly a kite. They asked if I wanted they to come asked down. It, was, it wasn't sort of a question. It wasn't no. a statement. Sure. So it was a question, was it? Nice. I'll talk more about it next week because I'll know more about it next week. Yes. But if you do happen to tune into this as soon as you can, then you might be able to still get down there and see some kite flying being done. I'm doing something very special on that day. Are it's you? my 29th wedding anniversary on that day. Well, happy so, anniversary. Thank you. I've told my wife to go fly a kite. I, I, I said, I'm hoping you asked that with a question rather than an <laughs> exclamation mark on that one. I said, darling, because you've been lucky enough to be married to me for the last 29 years, let's go and fly a kite together. <laughs> and so hopefully, as people listen to this, we're down there flying a kite as we you speak. You go all out for the anniversaries, don't you? You really do. <laughs> <laughs> Should I buy a new kite? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't pull. What do you want to do for your anniversary, darling? I don't know. Let's go and fly a kite. What a wonderful idea! Fabulous. So the one that I've used to fly at school that I've got in the cupboard that I was going to pull out. Don't use that one. <laughs> Brush down all the cobwebs off it. Blow it off. There it is. One of the things, and the reason I mention this is not just to to say thank you to my wife for staying married to me for 29 years, but the fact that we have different festivals, different mm. events. So, and again, the pronunciation, I'll go with yours one, the Maka Sankranti sounds pretty good. Sankranti, Sankranti. You say potato, I say potato. <laughs> uh, the fact that we have these different festivals and different events, as well as having things like Australia Day, yes. the fact that we've got these whole mixture of oh. different events in our multicultural community. Absolutely. And aren't we becoming more and more multicultural too? It's so obvious. And learning about things, learning yeah. about different things happening. Last year when Diwali was on, just mm. learning about Diwali and what happens with Diwali and just all these different things. I think mm. it's a really nice environment to be in and I love when they invite me along to be yeah. part of these different events and again, learn about them. The Holy Mellor Festival last year, learn mm-hmm. about that. I don't know about all these events from around the world and I don't think you expect anyone to know about every different festival, every different culture has Mm. around the world, Mm. but it's nice when you're involved in that. And it's nice that these communities feel that they're accepted enough in Dubbo that they can have these events and they know people come from a whole range of different backgrounds. Absolutely. And they know that the mayor will come down if he can, if he he doesn't annoy his his wife too much. (laughs) (laughs) You have to get a mention of that down there, of course. Let him know the fact that this is what I'm doing for my wife for her anniversary and our anniversary. I'm sure they'll be very impressed by that, let me tell you. Well, I'm sure they'd say, well, what else would you be doing apart from going and flying a kite? That's it. (laughs) So you're going to pull out the Mary Poppins tape and let's uh, finish off with that final song. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Well, mate, it's time for your Limerick of the Week. Now, being our first of all time back together, you, uh, you gave a couple of limericks for, uh, for me last year. Are you going to start one with me as well, are you? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Oh. I think you've had your fill. You've got oh, two oh, okay. years worth of fill in one oh, year. Fair enough, then. That's the way it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> look, there's so much to look at. I thought about all the things that are happening this year. Yes. I thought about some of the exciting projects, even having Andrew Forrest and Chris mm-hmm. Bowen here. Yeah, that's yeah. exciting as well. Yes. So a whole range of different things I could have done, but I thought, given the fact that I'm flying a kite today with my wife, I thought I, I can't do anything else, especially the fact that I did two for you last year and none about my wife. I thought I'd do a thank you, Limerick, to my wife oh, for, for You've just got a couple years. of brownie points back, I'm telling you now. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> 29 years of, of wedded bliss. So uh, this is for my wife. Well, fire away. To Katrina, who's second to none, 29 years and we're still having fun. With our kids, a loving team, in her love, life's a dream.
She's my moon, my stars, and my sun. Oh, mate, look, I'm sure she'll be very, very impressed. And look, you combine that limerick with the, the kite flying this morning, uh, you're on a winner, I'm telling you now. Well, all I've got to do is make sure that she listens to the end of the podcast, don't I? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she hears me talk about different things that are happening at council every week, so she probably feels she doesn't need to listen to my podcast. She does listen to it occasionally, but she probably feels like she doesn't need to listen to it. But this week, I'll, I'll say you've got to listen to it all the way through, darling. All the way through, darling. All the way through the end there. Well, as again, happy anniversary. And everybody out there today... That concludes the old podcast of Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, everybody, you take care. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.